Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Locked Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, and joined, as always, by Trevor. Um, today, we're going to go over the GMC results, talk a little bit about the MVP coming up, and then I'm going to talk some about the PDGA rules, um, because there's been a lot of random talk online about rules, um, a few of them in particular, how they should apply, and stuff like that, that I think it would be beneficial to talk through um, and look at the actual rule book as to what that says versus what we sometimes think it says. But let's just go first to GMC. Um, we saw Kevin Jones take it down. Yeah. His biggest win of the year by far. Uh, well, I can't say by far. He's won the Majestic and the Mid-America Open. But this is his first Pro Tour win this year. I think he won Idlewild last year. Mm-hmm. Yes. But outside of that, I don't really know many more Pro think, Tour wins. No, that was his biggest win, I think, Idlewild. He's been knocking on the door this season. I yeah. think it's just been a matter of time. But the question, you know, when a guy hasn't won, I mean, he did win on tour once last year, but this year, as far as like the que- the big question is like, can he go like down the stretch and like, especially in a four round event too, like you've got to mm-hmm. go four rounds, can't let up. And he held off, you know, Paul, you know, for the, for the, you know, towards the end there, that's who he really had to hold off. So like yeah. had to hold off good competitors and Paul didn't play bad. No. And especially in the last round, like he played and, fine. Like if if Kevin Jones would have crumbled, like Paul would have been there to to sweep him away. Yeah, but, I mean Paul put up a solid round, and Ricky put up a pretty solid performance. Yeah. Um, there there was more separation here, um, than we've kind of seen. You know, Kevin ended up winning by four, right? And I'm not sure. I don't have it pulled up, but there there was separation between Paul and Ricky. It wasn't like a stroke or two. Yeah. It was two. I think it was three or more. Yeah. Um, but that's a little bit more separation than we have been seeing. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more because I think the FPO side shows something interesting with this. But I wonder if it was due to there being two courses. Yeah, I mean, two courses definitely, I think, I mean, well, I don't know if it's two courses or the fact that one of the courses, um, which being the the name of the second course, it was... um, There's Fox Run and Brewster Ridge. It was Fox Run, I think, that was where the more separation was, right? I actually, I believe so, but I didn't look at that on the men's okay. side. I looked at it on the FPO side. I think, it, I think on the men's side, it was Fox Run. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's why it was. I don't think it's the fact that there was two courses. I think it was the fact that there was a course that, that had, had more separation. separation right? Interesting. Because the first round, I was like, everybody kind of came out the gate shooting really hot, and I was like, okay, this is kind of the trend of what we've seen. And then the second round, it got really choppy. high, Really good scores, and then some really bad scores from a lot of the better players. I think... I think it was Ricky who didn't play so well in that second round or somebody that was like, you know, I was looking like, okay, some of the guys are coming out like really hot. And then I was like, oh, this guy's like four down through 12. Well, the second round was when Ricky and Paul were on chase card. Was it the second round? I watched it. It was on Disc Golf Network. And I remembered Ricky and Paul, it was either the second or third round. Ricky and Paul were on the chase card and Hannah Macbeth was doing the commentating on like the field reporting. Yeah. And she pointed out that like the lead card, which at that time was James Conrad, Kevin Jones, Eagle by chance. Um, trying to think there was four guys and they were all more laid back, having a good time, relaxed, and they were shooting really well. And then you had Paul, Ricky, Jordan Castro, and I believe it was that um, Brooks Wells. Yeah. Uh, they were on the chase card. And they were all more serious, focused, and they weren't playing as well. And so Hannah mentioned that a few different times, saying like, "Hey, you know, this the lead card. You know, James and Kevin especially were were kind of tearing it up to start off, 
And she was like, they're just kind of out here having a good time. They're, they're not, not that they're not taking it serious, but if you look at the, the chase card, it, it would almost like your expectations would be that it was reversed where the, the right. chase card was the one that would looked locked in and super focused, but their play wasn't matching up to that. Whereas the lead card of Kevin Jones, James Conrad, I, I know those two were on it because they're both just fun figures in disc golf to where that they always have a good time. And yeah. um, she mentioned that several times. So that, that's something interesting too. Uh, just the, the vibe of the card as Terry would always say. Yeah. Um, what was like that. Um, I don't want to park too long on GMC. Um, but you know, I do want to, while we're still talking about results before I forget, bring up the dark horse pick where I have now officially gone up a three, one on you, my boy, a dangerous lead. Jamin Hume. Uh, I actually don't know what place he finished in, but he, he tied with 55th. Nick Carl to give you kind of a glimpse of how he was playing. Nick Carl didn't play the best Nick Carl golf, but he had a few like close to thousand rated rounds. Right. Yeah, yeah, two over a thousand. Two over a thousand. So yeah. you know, my dark horse pick played pretty decent, and yours was was doing good. Yeah, he was uh, he was in the lead until the lo- like as far as leading your guy until Keenan Johnson was his name till the last round he kind of blew up a bit. But you know what? I was proud of your effort. <laughs> you gave me three rounds of hope. The uh, only other storyline I wanted to pull out from the MPO side was, I, and I I'm gonna title it this, and I think we can officially title this. Macbeth's slump continues. Yeah. I, now, why I say we can call it this is if there's only probably like a handful of players on tour that this is a slump for. Paul being one of them. Ricky, I think, would be one. And you could argue Eagle would be one. But Paul has now went 10th place at D-Glow. 5th place at... Actually, where was 5th place at? Right after D-Glow. Not sure. 5th place and then went 2nd place. No, that was, that was D-Glow. D-Glow is Great Lakes. Yeah. 10th there. 5th. And then second place at Ledgestone, and now oh, then it was tenth. It was fifth at Ottawa. I don't know. I know the numbers I have written down are correct, but what the heck tournaments? Why didn't I write those? He went tenth, fifth, second, second, four tournaments Fair enough. Uh, at all Pro Tour events. Um, so like you know, for a normal player at a Pro Tour to go tenth, fifth, second, second, that's a great stretch. Right. For Paul, not so much. Yeah, I mean the tenth and the fifth are really like. Second place, it's if it were if it were four second places, that'd be one thing. But it was like the tenth and the fifth, adding on to the last two second places. He's just not now. Like at least past two second places, he hasn't even really been like in the position he'd like to be. He gave one away a while back. That was that was Ottawa. That's what he came in fifth. Right. So he that's what he gave Ottawa away. That one was surprising. Because and he it, was in he was in winning position. He had yes. a, he had a couple strokes. That's why I, that's why I didn't think it was fifth, but it was because Idlewild he blew up. He lost by five, but going into even seventeen, he had a chance. Yeah, which is shocking. But yeah, he lost by five at Idlewild. Um, which that's his fifth place. So tenth was Great Lakes Open, fifth Idlewild, second Ledgestone, second Green Mountain. Yeah, like I said, any other player. This is a great stretch. They're they're playing great. Yeah. And well, and the thing is too, if he wins at MVP, then I wouldn't have even considered that stretch a slump, really. I, so the thing is, if he if he loses again, then well, it, here's yeah. a weird thing to about Paul is I looking at this, I still consider him the best player in the world because of the fact that or, or currently, you know, yeah. obviously all time, you know, that's pretty clear. But currently, I, I still consider him the best in the world right now because. He's not losing to the same person over and over. Right. Nobody. It's not like the same person is beating him every time. It's not like when... Nobody's had a better stretch exactly. than he has. Yeah. You know, 
it's not like Ricky is beat, beat them both back to back weeks. Ricky, right. Ricky beat him at Ledgestone. Now we have Kevin here. You know, he realistically, if he cared about what place he was finishing, he would have come in second in Idlewild. Yeah. Instead, but he was pushing for the first and once right. first. So Eagle beat him there. Uh, and then 10th place at D-Glow, he just played bad. Yeah, I mean, he's still the most consistent. Yeah, but it, it is interesting to see him go four Pro Tour events in a row without a win now. Have we got, I mean, we're getting, in those four events, have we had different winners at each one? Let's look. Um, D-Glow was Eagle. Eagle went back-to-back, D-Glow and Idlewild. But then we had... And then we had Ricky, Ricky at Ledgestone and, and Kevin. So Eagle, Eagle, so Ricky, Kevin. So we get Paul in the mix, too. It, it's looking good for parity on the leaderboard in disc golf right now. I think we're maybe starting to settle into that sweet spot of, like... Because I think it's it's important that disc golf has, um, you know, different people winning a lot and a lot of people in contention. And I think right now we're at a spot where there's about five people in there. I would say, like, Paul... Ricky, Eagle, Kevin, and and then like throw in a fifth of like a mix of people probably. You know, does that sound about right to you? Mm-hmm. And that I think that's good. I'd like to see that number. Like that's not a bad thing for disc golf because it makes new people. They don't have too many people to worry about. They know who the guys who are the guys of the sport. And that's not a bad thing. I'd like to see that number be like 10. I think that's a sweet spot. There's like 10 guys that are like the guys. And every once in a while, somebody else will sneak in there and win. But there's like 10 guys that are the guys that are winning. I think that's a good place for disc golf to like grow and become popular and like have its guys, you know? Yes and no. That's how it is on the PGA Tour. I mean, you've got got your guys. Golf, though, was dying. Like dying. Like no one cared about golf until you had Tiger back and being competitive. Right. So is parody really actually but, a good thing for a sport? Tiger, it's that I don't think Tiger's it's tough to say whether it was Tiger's dominance. I think that has a lot to do with it, but I think the way that Tiger played the game was different too, and I think that attributes a lot to that, the way he, like he played with a certain kind of passion and finesse and just like he just attacked the game differently than anybody else did at that time. He made it exciting to watch. That's why people like Tiger. Nowadays, but I'm saying recently when Tiger, like 2018, Tiger no, comeback. Golf, golf's excitement, like yes, t- the ratings golf are, was dead no, as a sport. That's not true. The ratings and everything was trash. They weren't trash. Yes, they were compared to normal ratings in golf. Three, four years ago, prior to the Tiger return, everyone was saying as soon as Tiger came back, how the ratings, you know, well the ratings are higher. But I'm saying I don't think they were like. Yes, golf with Tiger on TV is always higher ratings, but I wouldn't say it was trash. Like, what are you calling trash? Like, it still gets a lot of I mean, I don't know what the exact numbers were. Like, they're still getting tons of revenue and have great television network deals. Revenue, yes. Deals, yes. Viewers, no. I mean, You have to have viewers to get those deals. Not necessarily. When you have a long history, you can be like, oh, well, it was a down year, but the FedEx Cup isn't going to pull their funding after one or two down years. I I don't know what you're talking about. Tons of well, all, all I'm saying is the news articles. I don't follow golf super closely, but the news Clearly. articles I saw, the headings were when Tiger returned, how he saved the viewership of golf because their ratings were so bad beforehand, and golf was on this decline, basically I mean, in a downward debt golf is, death spiral. Golf has been on a downward spiral, but that's it's not. I wouldn't call it a spiral. I'd call it more of like a slow slide because 
it's not as popular with the youth anymore because it's not accessible and that's where disc golf thrives. But I don't know that it's a downward spiral. What I'm saying Regardless is, is like when they had the parody without one guy. Okay, but my, my point is I'm trying to get to here <laughs> is that like this era of golf, what the only thing without Tiger, the only thing that makes it excitement is like it has a young core. Okay. So we had like Rory, um, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, like all those guys came in while Tiger was gone and they're the ones that kept it afloat. Like and Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, those guys were in there too. Like that was without having that one guy. If you don't have that one guy dominating like Tiger, you have to have a young core to like keep it exciting. So I don't know which model's better for the sport. I don't know if well, Paul I, winning. I think better. the young model helps the sport grow, but the Paul winning's more marketable. If that makes any sense, or even the for him, <laughs> no, for outside sponsors because you want to look at where you can put your money. Right, and you can put your money where A views are, and B, if like if Nike would they rather sponsor a player? Would they rather sponsor a tournament? Right now, yeah, I think they'd rather sponsor a player because what tournaments are you going to sponsor? You know, well, this year obviously the Pro Tour is the choice, but in the future it's like there's two Elite Series tours, plus there's majors, plus there's this, plus there's, or I could just sponsor one player, and wherever he goes, he's wearing my brand. But one thing also to bring up that I think goes against, not against parody per se, but is the Macbeth bump that we've seen in views when it comes to Jomez, Central Coast, Gatekeeper, whoever. Go look at their views on their channel. Ones that have Paul's name in the title have more views. Yeah, I mean, it's so true. So more people are watching when Paul's playing. I think, well, I think too, like, um, like the Paul dominance might just look different from now on than it used to like it used to be in disc golf like if Paul Beth was on a dominant stretch he literally was winning everything when Tiger Woods was on a dominant stretch he wasn't winning everything he won a like if you win five or six times on the PGA tournier you had a, an unreal season like yeah. if you win more than one major crazy season so like in disc golf it might just mean yeah Paul's always in the top five every time and he comes away with like you know, five or six tour victories each year, and that's what dominance looks like. Well, maybe, like. too, you, you know, maybe maybe my argument against parity doesn't make as much sense because as long as Paul's pushing the top, even if he's not always winning, that might be the best-case scenario for the sport. Well, where right. you still have the biggest name... Because Tiger coming back, right, in golf was a big deal regardless of if he was competing or not because his name so paul's created the name for himself to the point where he's the most marketable we can talk all all you want about how good ricky eagle those players are compared to paul because right now they're pretty darn close you know all when it's all when rubber meets the road james comrade kept well comrade has had a little bit of an off here but even like simon eagle paul ricky when rubber meets the road we're talking a few strokes here and there and it could swing anyway Right. You know, if you're if you're a betting man, you're not feeling as good this year as you are in 2015 betting on Paul. Yeah. But when when rubber meets the road in the opposite direction, when it comes to marketing, no one touches Paul. When it comes to marketing, if I'm a company and I want to sell a disc, and I you know if manufacturer sponsorships didn't exist, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying, and I'm a company and I can pick one player to put their name on a disc to sell it. I'm going Paul every time. Yeah. Because I mean. Just, I mean, you can look at sales numbers on Infinite's top twenty or anything like that. Well, just Paul's the ability, name's going to move the disc. Just the, the ability disc. to put five-time world champion on a disc 
It's not, of, yeah. It sells itself a bit. Well, I don't know if necessarily the five-time world champion to the casual fan though who doesn't really who just sees the that's this guy has more world championships than anybody else and it's on a disc and he throws it i might look him up but i'm not buying it because of that it, it's not necessarily <laughs> i'm new into disc golf i might well i'm not i never bought a t-bird because i had some ken climo 12-time world champ i looked up ken climo that's where you and i are different i looked up ken climo to find out who the heck he was but i never bought a disc because his name was on it but i'm saying paul's you know, Paul's five-time world championships have been documented and the way he's carried himself and pushed the sport is what's selling the disc more than just the little five-time thing on it. So where if you put a disc with just Macbeth and big letters on it, like the Tour Series Luna, you could sell the heck out of those. All I'm saying is having Paul currently, current sport of state of disc golf, having Paul on a lead card or whatever whether he wins or not, and almost possibly we could talk about whether he doesn't win. That could be the best case scenario. Having Paul attract viewers to see a Kevin Jones win GMC and open people's eyes to other players, maybe that's what's best for the sport as a whole because now there might be from this weekend watching Paul p- players tune in, newer players you know, discover Paul, tune in to watch Paul play, see Kevin Jones tear up. They are now Kevin Jones fans. Or maybe they're now Eagle fans from two weeks ago. I mean that maybe that is where parody could be good for the sport. I just talked myself out of my own thinking, but sure did. I think if Paul's on the lead card is the key because that draws the viewers in. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, regardless, onto the FPO side. <laughs> after all that, we had Paige Pierce taking it down by two over Haley King, and then we had Katrina Allen and Sarah Hokum tie for third. Which I want to point out before we talk about anything. My top three was technically right because I had I Paige my, Pierce. Mine was too, wasn't it? Yeah, we might have both been right. I think we both were right because I, I had Paige, and Katrina, had, and Sarah. And I think I had Haley King and Cat and Paige. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You there. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to point that out because I, I mean, I wasn't proud of it, but I was like, oh, little loophole, <laughs> yeah. tie for third. Um, we don't talk a lot about ratings on this show. We try to avoid it. I feel like we do. <laughs> well, we end up talking about it because you... We just say we don't. It's so emphasized in the sport. But what I was going to say is when we go through, like, we didn't just say what Kevin Jones averaged or anything like that. No, but our tongue. when it comes to Paige Pierce at this tournament, I think you have to at least acknowledge this. She popped off two 1030-plus rated rounds, which I don't want to say it's never been done on the FPO side, but it is not done very frequently to have... A, a FPO player shoot two over a four round tournament, two 1030 plus weighted rated rounds. One of them being 1037, almost 1040. Um, crazy good golf from Paige. Haley King was right up in there. Uh, and the thing I want to talk about that's interesting on the FPO side here is if this tournament's only at Brewster Ridge, mm-hmm. Haley King, based on the play, would have won. If this was four rounds, she would have won average by like eight strokes because she was beating, she went. Um, crap. I had it written down. Anyway, she beat she beat Paige by like two strokes each time. Yeah. Um, I think Paige went like sixty, sixty-one, or something like that. That's, um. Yeah, that's an interesting thing about the multi-course format that like it. P. I, I like it. I think it's interesting because it's unique to disc golf, and I, I don't mind it. But it's interesting because it kind of hurts parity because having different courses makes the better overall player usually come out on top, whereas if, like you said, if it all was at Brewster Ridge, like maybe Haley King wins. 
So like, yeah. I think if you play at the same course for all the rounds, then like throughout the tour, you might see more random winners because it might just be that a course tailors to somebody's game really well. But when you add in multiple courses, it kind of rounds it out so that the best overall game ends up winning, which yeah. is probably more. Well, that's fair. what I was gonna say. Is Fox Run Paige would have ran away with it a little bit. Yeah. She that's where she she went ten thirty, both rounds at Fox Run. Yeah. But what? So I guess what's at the end of the day better for the sport? The parity of you know a, a Haley King might be able to win if it was only at Brewster Ridge, or it being challenging with two different courses to where the the best player that weekend overall stands out. Yeah, I. It's tough because I, it's very untraditional the multi course thing. I mean, it's a disc golf thing and it's unique to disc golf. But it's one of those things that's unique to disc golf that I don't mind, as long as both the courses are up to standard. And I don't feel like, wow, one of these courses is awesome and the other course is like, and eh, like not that great. If both yeah. the courses are up to standard, then like I think it's cool to have variety. I definitely only really like it in a four round format. Or I guess a two round if it was like an A tier or something, not a tour event. But um, I definitely don't want to see like a three round, like go to one course, go to a different one, then come back to the first one. I don't like that. I want to see, you know, even rounds at each course. But I don't, I guess you need to disc golf and I think that's cool. It's definitely, yeah, it definitely has an effect on scores. Like it, it rounds out things a bit. But it, yeah, I, I'm a fan of it. I'm a fan. I don't mind it in a scenario like this weekend where the players had weeks of preparation. Right. Um, well, some were yeah. quarantined up there for two We've weeks. We've talked about not being able to practice yeah. as easily, yeah. In this situation, or a situation like this, where there's like a two-week or more break between major events, so like pro tours, or if there was a national tour and then a pro tour, or a major and then a pro tour, something like that, I don't mind the two courses. Where I think two courses comes into being an issue is like the Idlewild to Ledgestone back-to-back, to where there's only realistically two to three days of practice because if there's two courses it's going to be a four-round event right i mean at least in my head on the pro tour that seems to be if there's one course three rounds if there's two courses four rounds that seems to be what's been the standard up to this point um but one thing i think would be cool to see in disc golf is you know if there's only one course that's up to the standard but it's going to be a four-round event is like what the usdgc has done and obviously this is a golf idea but the changing the pin locations to where you can have two courses in one sort of to where the players might only have to learn or at least they only have to practice one course but they might be challenged with two different formats to where one course might just favor a little bit to the forehand and the other course favors to the backhand so the most overall well-rounded player wins that week yeah this and that's an interesting idea it's different obviously a lot different in ball golf because you know, obviously it's easier to change the pins without drastic change to... Uh, All they're it's not changing a lot. is like the chip up where you want to hit on the green. Well, yeah, it changes like, okay, so maybe now this pin's at the bottom of a slope that you want to play up onto, or maybe now it's hugging a bunker. You don't have as much green to work with. It's There's a lot of strategy to it, and they can also, with a few feet, make a pin infinitely easier or harder mm-hmm. based on, you know, usually they'll make like moving day pins like super easy they want guys to score and then like the final day pins are usually tough they want a chance for guys to collapse and guys be heroes um disc golf you know obviously there's a lot of courses these days we've just played one this morning ben horse that has two different pin locations completely different course on a lot of those holes 
uh, really changes it. I guess that's true because in, in disc golf, it's almost it's changing the fairway you're taking. Yeah, it's changing the fairway usually, not changing like where you're landing on the green. You know, um, so it's a lot different. Like the concept is a lot different in disc golf, but. I don't necessarily mind it. We've played college tournaments at Clemson where we've played two different layouts. Um, and well, it, yeah, I feel like USDGC has done it with a somewhat success. Their their course design last year could be questioned by right. and was questioned. And but at least as far as the two pins go, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind like subtle pin changes to where like at USDGC, you know. I don't. I like the idea of like, okay, there's water near a pin. So one day it's further away from the water. You can really attack it. And the next day you kind of have to like play out towards the open area and maybe you're scared of your putt. Like it's closer to the water. But it's not really changing your tee shot it's, that Yeah, much. it's not changing a whole lot. It's just subtle changes. Yeah. I don't mind that. Um, you know, at USDGC, I think that they, they've done it where they've changed uh, like hole one. The first day they would play it straight yeah. alley and then they would go to the, the new forehand raised basket, which I do not like, by the way. Love the old pin. Yeah. Um, but they and that's had, a complete hole change, though. Yes. Well, so, they, but every single hole, at least to my knowledge, had an A and a B pin. And it would go like A pins, B pins, yeah. A pins mixed or something like it's that. It's definitely something to be experimented with. And like it's going to change how it, how the feel, like whether it's just changing the landing area a little bit or if it's changing the entire hole, that's going to change course to course. In the woods, you're typically going to get um, an entire hole looking completely different when you change the pin location in open courses, it might be a little bit more subtle. Like, Oh, let's move it a little bit closer to the OB flags, you know, it, or like at the USDGC, let's move it further away from the mozzarella stick wooden pole things. <laughs> like it, it's an interesting thing to explore, but I, I think it's a nuance that probably should be looked into more. Yeah. I think it, at least on, cause you're going to change courses completely. You might yeah. as well. Well, I think at least on for majors, it should right. be looked into because of the fact that like a major needs to be four rounds or more. Four, not more. Sorry, four rounds. <laughs> yeah, whoa, whoa. Let's, Let's not go back it. to the worlds where it was seven <laughs> rounds. That was dumb. It needs to be four rounds. It doesn't. Yeah. Need, which I don't know if there is majors that are three rounds, but when if it's four rounds and you only have one high quality course in the area, yeah. that's going to get boring. For the viewer, for the player. Yeah, if the pins are the same. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, sorry. If the pins yeah. are the same. If you're only playing the exact same course four rounds in a row. Yeah. So that's where I think a, a pin change comes in. If, if if it's like a pro tour and it's three rounds, like Idlewild, it's fine. Not, yeah. You know, you don't really have to change that much. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, it's something to look into kind of as the sport progresses. Um, but one thing that is coming up that is always an exciting time of year is the MVP Open. That is coming yes. up this weekend. Yeah, this weekend. So uh, we're just going to predict our top three on both sides. Um, I don't really know. We've already talked about the storyline of the volunteers. I don't really think there's any other storyline really coming into this this much. Not that I can think of. Um, I am going to change my top three because... You always change them as you're like ready to Well, listen. because... I, well, I'll just go ahead with mine because third place I had Simon Lazat, but then I just remembered you his... You know he doesn't like to win. No, he doesn't care. Well, that's why I put him in third. Uh, no, I remembered his forehand. He's hurt. Like He's something hurting. with his elbow is hurt, to where he can't really throw a forehand. I forget exactly what the injury is, but because of that, because of that, I am going with. We'll go with Kevin Jones. We'll go. 
Ricky Wysocki winning mm-hmm. in first place. Paul McBeth, second place. Kevin Jones coming off the hot streak, third place. All right. I've got the same three people, but in a different order. I'm going to give Kevin Jones back-to-back wins. Mm. You know, staying up north, just coming off of a win. He's been, because the thing is, it's not like he just came out and won and, like, hasn't been around all season. He's been there all year round. Yeah. So, like, you get a win like that, that's can those, you know, can make you. They can make your season because now you're like, all right, I can win. I know how to win now. There's a lot of guys on tour who do not know how to win. They know they're good at disc golf, and they might be better than a lot of guys that do win, but they just don't know how to win. Kevin Jones now knows how to win. So I'm going to give him another win and just see what happens. I'm going to go with Ricky in second and Paul in third. Interesting. Paul in third. Yeah, well, I'm I'm done picking Paul. He's making me look dumb. <laughs> so, like, please go ahead and prove me wrong. But I'm uh, still rooting for you. <laughs> on the FPO side, I have Paige taking it down. I feel like I've picked Paige every single week, but mm. the thing is, you're going to look a lot smarter if you pick Paige to win every week than if you pick someone else. So, yep. I'm going with Paige for the win, and then I feel like for some reason on the FPO side, it plays a little bit to a four-handers. You say this every week, and you pick Sarah Hookham every time, and it never pans out. Oh, I guess it did last week. Got, she did tie I, for I think three. it's two weeks in a row it's panned out that she's been in the top three. Has it? Idlewild, and then, I don't know if I picked her at Ledgestone. I don't know, but it, it has panned out. Nah, I was and take her too, to be honest. I'm going Paige, Sarah Hokum second, and Haley King third because Haley King also has a very elite sidearm. Um, this is actually one of the first times I haven't picked Katrina Allen in the top three, and the only reason for that was I don't think she's gonna finish the top three. I don't really know. Nice. I don't really have a, a solid <laughs> expert reason. analysis. I don't really have a solid reason. I'm gonna. Be I just a- went with the forehands. Of I'm Sarah Hokum and Haley King. I'm going to be a rebel and knock Paige Pierce out of my top three. Out of your top three completely? Yeah. All right. I'm going to have Haley King the win, Sarah Hokum in second, and Katrina Allen in third. Interesting. You know, I think she won this past week. You know, she might be a little bit complacent, kind of sitting on that win. I think Haley King has a dirty forehand. She does. That she does. She's got a dirty forehand. This is her time to win. She needs to take advantage of it. And I think that's why Sarah Hokum comes in second. I agree with that point, even though I make fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say Katrina Allen somehow edges out Paige. I'm going to say, honestly, wait, new prediction. Katrina Allen and Paige Pierce tie for third. Oh, so you're picking four people. That's even, it's higher. It's even like no, worse no, I'm odds. not going to pick four people, yeah, but yeah, worse I'll let odds. you pick four. Yeah. All right. Well, you've if heard that it here. comes true. <laughs> If that comes true, we're going to take Trevor to Las Vegas. I'm going to the Powerball immediately. (laughs) Um, Now, the final one is the Dark Horse pick. So, as we stated at the beginning of the show, the top of the hour, I'm up 3-1 now. I'm going to let Trevor announce his Dark Horse pick first because mine is directly related to his. All right. So, I found a gem here. I've got Samuel Streeter um, from Charlton, Massachusetts. So, he's up there. Um... I picked him because he just had a massive ratings bump, plus 18. So he had been on a hot streak. He's got 18, 18 career wins and 51 career events. It's pretty darn good. That's really good. Uh, he's a killer. And he just won the GMC AM side last week. So yeah. he's a killer. So this is the reason that I'm picking the player I'm picking is I'm picking Casey Ganta. Because remember, the, the Dark Horse pick... It started as someone who we expect to play way better than a rating and turned into you pick a random player below 980, I pick a random player below 980, and who can beat the other. And Casey Ganta last weekend 
at the GMC Am side, tied for the win and lost in a playoff. To Samuel Streeter. So, therefore, I'm saying Casey gets his revenge on Sam this weekend. And so I'm going with Casey. Yeah. So I'm going with Casey on that one. How it'll play out. Very intriguing. Only time will tell. All right. So let's get into the, I was going to say the meat of the podcast, but here we are 32 minutes in, uh, just getting to the topic that's not about tournaments. Um, I also just accidentally licked the foam cover of my <laughs> microphone, which was a very weird experience. And I don't recommend ever doing that. Oh, gosh. It just tasted weird. Um, all right. So when it comes to PDGA rules, I have seen some confusion on the interwebs on mo- multiple places. Facebook, YouTube comments, Discord. And I want to talk about it. You know, it's been going on for a few weeks. And so... The basically there's just confusion on a few rules in particular and their implementation into the game slash being called in the game. Um, so the first one is probably no surprise to anyone listening, which is excessive time. Yes. So we've heard a lot of complaints this year about Nico. We've heard some previously about Philo, and um, there was another player that's like notorious for it. It just slipped my mind. But Nico and Philo, we've yeah. heard them, you know, Nico big this year, Philo in the past we've heard somewhat about. And then this past weekend, we had some comments going back and forth on Gatekeeper Media's coverage um, where a viewer called out Eagle for excessive time. And then Eagle responded with, your time does not begin until you step up to your lie, which if you've been in disc golf long enough, you have heard that. That's what I've always understood is like when you address your lie, you have 30 seconds. So like... You'd walk up to your mini and like you'd get in your stance for your putt, and now you have 30 seconds to, to release that putt, it. and which is plenty of time. That's what I've always believed, but it's not necessarily wrong. Yeah, it's just not also necessarily right. It's very vague. Yeah. So this is what Rule 802.03a states: This a player has taken excessive time if they are present and have not thrown within 30 seconds after. The previous player has thrown, and they have a they have had a reasonable amount of time to arrive at and determine their lie, and they are next in the throwing order, and the playing area is clear and free of distractions. All right. So the key word there is reasonable. Exactly. So reasonable is PDGA's little secret buzzword there that can be that word can be interpreted however the player wants it to be interpreted because the PDGA understands and what I understand this is a PGA this is a ball golf thing too is like. How much time you take to throw your shot is kind of up to you. It's really, there's never going to be a shot clock. Okay. So it's about just not being dumb about it. You well, know? here's here's my thing is. I think you're entitled to be a slow player if you want to be a slow player and guys are going to know you as a slow player and you're just going to have to exist on tour. Well, so when you read this rule, you interpreted it as the player throwing the disc is the one to determine the reasonable amount, correct? Yes. So when I read it, I read it as the player who would be calling you on it, which would be your card mates, is the one to determine a reasonable amount. Mm, I mean, maybe it can go either way, to be honest. It's very vague. In any case, I'm thinking the PDGA is writing that rule like, you know, we're not, there's no time limit really. Just like, don't, I don't even know why they write, I mean, I guess they write 30 seconds, they had to write something, but like, I don't even, I don't think that needs to be like a thing. Like, nobody needs to be getting called on 30 seconds unless it's something outrageous like what i from what i've seen of like the slow players like yeah they're taking their time but it's about just being professional and respectful to your card mates i think at the end of the day 
Like, there's always going to be guys that are slower. There's guys on the PGA Tour that are notorious for being slower players, but they kind of just are. You kind of just got to be patient. See, that's where... So, I disagree with you on a certain... So, I think I think there's two types of slow players. There's slow addressing their lie players, like slow determining what shot to throw when they're scrambling type of a player. Yeah. And then there's just slow players so like there's there's players who step up to their lie and then they step slow. up to their lie and then they're slow like they pump 50 times or they line up a shot well, like this for and those are the thing. players that i think this rule should be called on okay so if that's the case then they need to change the ruling to when your right or left foot like gets behind the mini or your disc to where you are now like lined up to throw that's when the time starts yes so because, what, what everyone case, thought the rule stated as of right now right I think PDJ just wishes they didn't like. They just are hoping that people are just sensible and don't have to. Well, because so that. the this was brought up in reference to this situation that basically I wrote out a little description of it. Basically, Eagle approaches his lie, then pulls out a rangefinder. Yeah, well, there's another problem. <laughs> oh gosh, Marks like checks out the how far away he is from the basket, then puts the rangefinder back into his bag, then picks out his disc, and then grabs his whale sack, dries his hand off. And then approaches his lie. Once yeah. he approached his lie, he didn't so take he, an excessive time. Okay, well, here's the here's the the issue with that is the range finders. Well, in reference to time or in reference to range finders in Both. general? Okay. Okay, so the range finder is a part of that time and it's becoming more popular and it's an issue. Why? Everybody everybody is all excited about this disc golf range finder craze. See, I don't know if I'm like what about to come out, what is about to come out of your mouth because I just got my Bushnell well, disc golf range finder. Here's the thing, Hunter, you're in luck because you're not on the pro tour. That's valid. Okay. But I will be your, using it if, at my local C tiers. If you yeah, and that's fine. If you go to your local golf club, you are you're gonna see guys using range finders and that's great. Like they can do that. But at the highest level, Using a rangefinder, nobody can argue that using a rangefinder is not a competitive advantage, okay? So you say, well, everybody can use it, so what's wrong with that? Well, disc golf is too easy for the pros. They're shooting like 14 down like every other round, okay? That's like That's been a pretty common consensus amongst disc golf fans that disc golf needs to find ways to make the game more difficult. So why encourage the use of rangefinders? It makes the game easier. That's backwards progress. Now... Is it a good thing? Is it fine that these range fighters exist to scout out courses in your practice rounds beforehand? Absolutely. That's perfectly fine. On the PGA Tour, for example, um, the players and caddies, it'll be the caddies, but in this case, it'd probably be the players because, you know, we're not there yet. The caddies will go out to the course um, during the practice rounds or whatever. They will go to all the places that they want their guy to land or they want to, anywhere they need to want to to know a distance like they say okay i want to know how far off the tee that water is or i want to know if my guy lands in position a he has this far to the front of the green this far to the back and they shoot all those distances and they write them down in their caddy book okay studying the course should be more is is a like a big part of the game of golf that is kind of thrown out the wayside and it's very fascinating part of golf and i think disc golf like that is something that we don't necessarily see as much or hear as much about. And that's, that's like the whole range finder thing. That's where it needs to be incorporated, not during the round. Like I don't need to see like Kevin Jones pulling out a range finder to shoot his upshot. Like these guys are the best disc golfers in the world. He like, he shouldn't have to shoot a 200 foot upshot to know it's 200 feet. I mean, he was plenty good before the range finder exists. Was he not like was Paul, yes. did Paul Beth not win five world titles without a range finder? I don't finder? think Paul will ever use a range finder. I think, Hmm. And here's the other thing. I think part of it is 
a player who where I where I like the rangefinder right is a player on tour who maybe like I think it could help players which maybe this is why you don't like it but I think it can help those players who like walk up to a tee with like three discs or whatever or like step up to a shot and they're like man is this a mid or is it a putter what yeah, do I do that should be done during practice rounds that's what I'm arguing. I'm saying I don't disagree with you. I'm, I just don't think it's a. I'm saying players will separate themselves by their preparation. Okay. The more you prepare and take notes on the course, the better you'll do. And being able to have a range well, finder that, out I don't on think the course, that changes with the. I don't think that's a valid argument against a range finder because that's just a valid argument. Period. Whether you have a range finder or yeah, don't. but I'm saying the range finder. At the very core of this argument, the range finder is giving a disc golfer a competitive advantage when they are already making the courses look silly. Yes. So we do yes. not, that's backwards progress. And for anybody else who is not a touring professional, like if you're just out there playing casual round, that's not a problem. That's, so when it comes to competitive advantages then, right? Yeah. The only other one I've ever heard that term used for is headphones. Yeah. I don't. Where do you stand on that? I don't, I don't care about headphones. So why don't you care about headphones? Because <laughs> a range Does that finder, not make the game easier? Well, here's the thing. A range finder is giving you an exact distance. I think the rangefinder thing is, I think the rangefinder is not, in disc golf at least, I don't think, disc golf is not as precise of a distance sport as ball golf. Ball golf, like, can be a game of inches, and disc golf can be as far as, like, left and right hitting a tree, but as far as, like, 200 feet to the basket, then I don't think that's where it's useful. I think it's most useful in shooting where, how far away a tree is. Do I push past this tree or go inside of it? Or... How far is that Mando or how far is that water hazard? Where do I need to lay up to this water? I think that's where it becomes more useful. Um, or maybe like if it's going to the pin, like can I clear this OB to get to the pin? But headphones, you know, first of all, they're not, you know, unless somebody's in your ear, there's nobody telling you, you know, this much to the pin. The problem with headphones well, the problem with headphones is it's a bit unprofessional in my opinion. It kind of, I don't know, it's it's a bit weird to me. And I understand why it's used. Like, I'm sure it calms certain players down. Like, it helps them, like, you know, stay in their, like, in their head and, like, in their game or whatnot. You know, it's not really popular. Like, Kevin Jones, I'm pretty sure he just, he was a headphone guy, and I'm pretty sure he just won that tournament without using headphones. Barry Schultz like used him for a long time. I just filmed Barry Schultz though, and like he has one headphone in, one out. Like he's very much talkative on the course. Like it's not like he's locked into that music. I don't see it. I, it doesn't bother me. It, it yeah. is. It's a bit gimmicky and unprofessional looking in my opinion. But like it's not mainstream enough for me to care. Like I don't think it's like a trend that's gonna remain a thing. So that's why the headphone thing is bothering. Yeah, I can but, see that. The headphones though. So the headphones. The competitive advantage side of the headphones don't bother me at all, which I think is the same reason that the rangefinder doesn't bother me because of the point that, like, let's say that, like, to me, I play best when I have a song in my head. And now, I never use headphones because of part B that I'm about to talk about, but I play best when I can get in a rhythm. So if I can get a song in my head and I'm yeah, I mean, when I practice, into a rhythm, I, I listen to music when I practice. And if I can get in a rhythm where I'm more thinking about the song and, like, whatever else and not about my game, that's when I've had my best rounds. Why I don't wear headphones and why I don't like the headphones is because it can distract and pull you away from your card and your responsibility to your card. Right. That's so like, the unprofessionalism, I think. Yeah. In. If there is a ruling call and you happen to have both headphones in, you forgot to take one off the tee, you might not hear that, hey, you need, you're needed for this. 
Or if you're walking up in front of someone and they're throwing and they say, hey, I'm out. You might not hear them for that. Yeah. That's where I think head, headphones, just for pace of play and the good of the game, should go away for that part. But as far as the competitive advantage, when it comes to competitive advantage, everyone can bring headphones to the course. Everyone can bring a rangefinder to the course. Yeah, well, that's the thing. My argument isn't really the competitive advantage in that sense, one player over another. It's yeah. all the players versus the course. That The courses are already struggling to keep up with how good players are right now. Let's not give them anything to make it easier for them. We should be going in the other direction. Yeah, but I, to, so to me, the, the answer to that, the answer to like, let's go in the other direction or whatever, isn't taking away rangefinders. It's why making the courses harder. But why would we make it? Why would we give them something that helps? What is them? what is a rangefinder? Rangefinder, what might be what a stroke here and a stroke there? But why give it to them? I mean, what's the what? Why is it necessary? Is my thing. it's not necessarily necessary, but I think it's helping. I think it to me a rangefinder when I see a pro taking time and like shooting a thing, like shooting the shot, lining up, taking their time. But why can't they be looking it, at their? It the, seems the note, more Why can't they be me. taking look a look at the notes they just took or talking to their caddy that took the notes for them? Caddies were not there yet. Money we wise. need to be. Well, money wise, we're not there yet. I bet and you until there's a corporate sponsor, we're not going to be there. Well, I bet you every every like popular pro could 100 percent find some guy that wanted to do that for them for free yeah but so right now if there was a caddy on the road it would have to be funded by the manufacturer as like a driver slash caddy slash tour manager that's the position the person would have to fill because who's gonna pay like i'm saying it'd be like a one-off thing yeah but who wants a one-off like if i'm going on the road i I want a caddy i mean if some guy if some guy comes up to me with a notebook full of every single distance on that course and every bit of local know-how on that course and i'm playing a practice round for the first time but i don't trust him i don't trust him to know my game and that's the biggest thing of a caddy is like i need you to know not what's best from the yeah, course but he might but know he might know objective things about the course yeah like okay don't miss right but what if like that's fine that's good information though so I, he might be like hey well don't miss right so you what i would want a caddy to say is like hey, I know you're going to throw the forehand because that's your best shot here, but when you do it, make sure you're throwing this disc that's going to flip up because of blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I mean, you'd, Versus, you'd, oh, well, don't miss right. You'd love that detail, but I wouldn't mind a guy being like, oh, by the way, there's a massive cliff drop-off behind the basket that you can't see from up here. Pros on the course will know that with one practice round. There's no, like, local knowledge of a course, 98% of pros have played enough disc golf that they're going to play a course and figure that out in one or two rounds. That's not what a caddy is good for to me. To disc golfers a caddy is good for knowing a player's bag and a player's game so much that they can help them adjust on the fly and have someone to bounce ideas off of that they that the player themselves trust the caddy to know mm-hmm. a random guy no i don't think that's really help, helpful and that's where to me when we don't have a caddy in a sport and we're not we're not getting caddies soon we, we until a corporate sponsor comes in to where a player can afford a caddy themselves, or if Discraft randomly hires a driver and a caddy for a player like Paul or Yuli or the someone like is, that. But the problem is, I don't know how many disc golfers would want a caddy. I think if I think, I think a lot would. If if it was a caddy that was on the road many, with them, and how many knew times? Their game. Well, how many times do you think if Paul has a caddy, even if he knows his game really well, somebody like you or I who know his game to a certain degree, like how many times is Paul really gonna like? hear what that caddy says and be like you're right i'm gonna go with you or i zero tompkins multiple times around really he would literally it, tompkins was paul's caddy at pretty much tompkins knew paul's game and knows maybe not anymore because he hasn't caddy for him a while but knew his game so well 
that he probably knew it as good as Paul. So there were certain shots that I literally saw Paul pull a disc out. Tompkins say, dude, I, I think you should do this. And Paul go back to the bag and switch. Or Paul bring two discs to Tompkins and be like, are you thinking this or this? And Tompkins say, I think this one. That surprises me. Well, it's in the heat of the moment, you know, sometimes your emotions, you're just like, That's I just want to throw. And you, if you had someone just be like, what should I throw, man? I don't know. I, you know, nothing's working. What are you thinking? Mm-hmm. That can just be a change in mindset. But you need someone you trust. That's why if you or I caddied for Paul right now, yeah, I know Paul's game and I know like this CC throw and what shots, but because I haven't given Paul advice to where Paul's taking it in a major or anything, there's no back history that has to be built up with a caddy. So, yeah, you know, he would take our opinions with a grain of salt and I'd be like, I think it's an Avenger SS. And he'd be like, okay, forehand crystal Raptor. Cause you know, why would I listen to Hunter? You know what I mean? Yeah. I he, you're saying. Versus Tompkins who has told him multiple times and Paul's seen, Hey, you know, I think Tompkins is right about this. Uh, that type of a caddy who's built up over years is invaluable until disc golf gets there. I think that the rangefinder kind of serves as a caddy to a certain degree or something like that where, yeah, it might be a competitive advantage, but it now, if Eagle's like, man, I really don't know. I, I don't know what to throw here. I just boom rangefinder. I just don't understand. We've feet. talked on this we podcast go. so many times about how disc golf is too easy for the pros and you're going to give them something to make it easier. I just don't, well, I just because can't I don't, that. I don't think that so giving caddies would make the sport easier. You think that's the wrong move for disc golf? I, but I think it's a fair way to do it. Like How there's a reason it's not fair because you're using a robot to assist yourself. <laughs> there's a reason they're not allowed on the PGA tour because you're giving yourself electronic, like technology once, assistance. Once a caddy, it's is literally in the game, a training. Aid. Once a caddy is in the game, then I will agree with getting rid of that because there's someone to do that. But at the work. very core of the argument, why are you? Why do you want the sport to be easier for them? I don't. But you do. You're giving them no. something to make it easier. No, because I don't think that this. I don't think. Do rangefinders make it easier for them? Yes or no? Yes. But it doesn't make the sport easier. <laughs> yes, it, it does. No, it makes their decision making easier, which makes the sport easier. It doesn't change how hard the course is. That is the issue. Yes, when it, it comes, does. No, it doesn't. When it comes to how <laughs> yes, it, it does, knowing the distances to the exact number makes a course easier. How no. could you possibly say that it doesn't? No, it doesn't if make you the, know how the, far that water is. It just made it easier it to say how, I'm going to lay up instead of trying to go for it because it, I thought it was further than it actually is. It makes how a player plays change, but it doesn't make the course easier. That's garbage (laughs) so garbage (laughs) no what i'm saying is to make i don't think that getting rid of range finders or stuff like that is the solutions we need in changing it's not the the ultimate solution i think it's a like a step in the wrong i think it's a step in the wrong direction see so to me i think it's at the the, pro level i'm not against the right direction because it helps players think through more and treat like to me when a player is using a range finder and they're they're in a mindset of like a golf mindset of like a disc golf like taking it serious they already through. do take it seriously they take it serious but i'm saying thinking through their options consulting their own head as a caddy but they're already doing that to a certain degree yes but i think this takes it a step farther and helps get the sport in that direction no. gets it closer to caddies i'm never agreeing with that till right. i die to me once the caddy comes in the rangefinder can go until the caddy comes in I think there's no point in it disappearing. I don't I don't see it as an issue. No. <laughs> I've never taken that. Well, uh, I just think that the way you make a like changing the way the courses are designed for the top pros is going to do even with or without rangefinders 
is the only answer to if you want to say professional disc golf is too easy for the top level pros rangefinder stroke here or there like we're, we might literally talk about a whole tournament in two strokes yeah but it doesn't it's still a step in the wrong direction regardless well okay so now instead of averaging 14 down like why do, average why do 14 we, and a half like, down why do we have to have it like it's fine that we have it at the am level and like well, to, to prep for a course but it doesn't need to exist in the pro level it's unpro it just doesn't look pro to me see to me it looks because pro. i've been and maybe it's because i've been watching PGA. i think that's exactly what it is to me that but that's like that is well, the i pinnacle think the biggest thing pro to me golf. pro golf yeah but not the pinnacle of pro disc golf the, to me, if there's I parallels, see, you know, there's parallels. There's a lot of parallels, but it, there's also a lot of stuff that it disc doesn't golf look professional. Different. Pull out a robot telescope and shoot out the distance. See, to me, it does. It looks more professional to look at the notes that you've took on the course because. But you, you're asking the player to play the course, learn the course, yeah, practice his putting, practice his driving, and use a rangefinder <laughs> and take notes on the course, like from each spot that he expects not, himself to land. It's not that hard. In two days, it's not that hard. How many distances on a course do you? Like with that rangefinder are really super crucial. There might be like five holes that it like, might not even be the distance as much as it's the elevation change. Well, then yeah, and I don't even want to talk about that. That's another huge advantage of those things. Not only are you getting distance, but you're getting elevation change. You're literally like it's like we're a bunch of robots all reading all the I'm data. Saying is to me it looks more professional because you never see an amateur treat the game with that much respect and respect. Pain, pain. <laughs> Of like thinking You're through, crazy. <laughs> thinking through their shot to the detail of, let me pull out my rangefinder and see the angle of change. They're pulling it out because they can, because it helps. Like not because they want to show more respect to the game of disc golf. Not because golf. they want to show more respect. Not I'm because they want to think through more. It's how they seriously the they're treating it. I don't think they're treating it any more seriously. They just have the. They option. probably aren't, but it looks it. It it, it gives off mm. this essence to me of but, professionalism. Okay, but all the companies, I think all the, the big companies that are going to sponsor disc golf, are they're using pro golf as your as their model. Don't deny that. But okay, if, if don't Nike's look, I agree. But if Nike's looking in, and it's like I can't sponsor this. That guy used a range finder. I'm telling you, Nike, Nike, when they look to sponsor disc golf, they're going to go to their golf guys. I guarantee it. And what golf and those guys golf are going like, to gonna... joke because he used a rangefinder? I'm telling you, they're weird. They're weird about it. They're going to see the rangefinders. They're like the pros, the best players in the you world. You think they're going to look at? You're going to they're going to look at disc golf, and the single thing they're going to pick out about all of disc golf compared it. to golf, they're going to is look, a rangefinder. Not no, but I'm saying they're going to look at it as a lot. Okay, they're going to look at it in detail. And if you if I am looking at it and I see the best player in the world needs a robot to assist him to win, Paul never will. So like, nobody I, needs to. But I mean, okay. So is is a cart a competitive advantage? I mean, technically, yeah, I guess. So are we getting rid of carts? It makes the sport easier. Mm, they don't have to. That's have way to more marginal. Way more marginal. But I'm just saying stuff like that. Where and you're allowed to use a caddy. So that doesn't. That sure. Carts are used. That does. That's a dumb argument. That's a <laughs> straw is. man right there. I, all I was thinking of was uh, Paul will never use a cart just because. Paul personally doesn't like the way a cart uses, feels, looks. So Paul will always use a backpack. Or but like, somebody carries bag. But on that's occasion. like you know, I don't know where I was going with it. But Paul will never use a cart, and Paul will never use a, a rangefinder because Paul. Because Paul is a champion. But I'm saying the players who are like up and coming, there, there's just certain players with a mindset that need a caddy or need something to trust. And they're not good enough. Pack up, pack up the car and get out of here. All right, I don't know. In the comments, if you're on... Imagine getting that fired up for rangefires. By the way, I don't want to... 
I don't want to kill all your dreams, but Bushnell didn't make a rangefinder for disc golf. They took one that was sitting in there. If you're killing anyone's <laughs> dreams with that, then they just haven't thought through the situation. They, they took one that was sitting in their warehouse, reprogrammed it to show feet instead of yards, and said, we're going to slap disc golf on it and sell a million. And they were brilliant, <laughs> and I applaud them. It was brilliant, but let's not... Let's I mean, not act like they were like in the lab designing this rangefinder for disc golf specifically. I absolutely agree with you on that one, but it is sick. I just feel like there's people that I love that Bushnell is a part of the game, though. It's a big name. Like I was like when I looked on their website and saw that there was the disc golf rangefinder, I was like, that's cool. But it's not for the pros. <laughs> okay. Brody Smith will agree with me on that. He uses one in the rounds. But I think I think he would still agree with me. Because he, because he can. Because he can, but I think he'll agree with me. Probably. Yeah. That means that the majority of the audience will be on my side. Got a point. <laughs> it's me and Mr. Smith against the world. <laughs> uh, what I was about to say is if you're watching this right now, comment down below what you think about rangefinders. And if you're listening to this, um, send us a DM on I, Instagram at Foundation I only want responses to one, the one argument. I don't, whatever else came out of that hubbub, I don't care. The only argument, the only one that I'm really going to defend to the death is that disc golf, we need to find ways to make it harder. Range finders make it easier. It's a step in the wrong direction. So we can have them, just not during professional tournament rounds. Okay, I want to get on to a few other topics before we wrap up the show because we're already pushing an hour and we're already past the time we're supposed to be at home. So the other one that I saw brought up was by Dixon Jowers in his Facebook group. Um, I think it's actually his Facebook group for the, his podcast on the box with D- Dixon Jowers. But mm-hmm. um, he brought up the question of like, what is the actual rule stating benefit goes to players, right? Because that, that's said all the time on right. the course. All right. There's like a rule thing brought up. It's like, well, the benefit goes to the player. Um, so here is the, the rule. And then I'll explain why I think it's interesting and might be misinterpreted sometimes. Uh, it's rule 801.03. When a group cannot reach a majority decision regarding a rule, the ruling is based on the interpretation that is most beneficial to the thrower. So that is obviously exactly what we thought it said. Don't think anyone's shocked by that. But but what I haven't seen implemented is the majority, when the like based on the majority, because there's right. been multiple cards that I've been on and multiple cards that I've watched or caddied or done media for, where there's been a questionable lie. The second the first player walks up and is like, it's too close to make a call, you know, wh- whatever benefit goes to the player, then everyone else's opinion just immediately stops right there. I have seen on my card, I have had where the player walks up, the actual thrower walks up and is like, look, I think I'm OB, but I mean, can you guys come look? Then I look and I'm like, yeah, I think I think that's OB. And then this one other guy walks up and is like, well, I look, man, like starts making the argument for it to be in bounds. To where, and then by the end of that, he's like, look, to me, it's too close to call. I think the benefit should go to the player. <laughs> to where the majority, yeah. if we just let the chips fall where they were, the majority is going to call the player OB. Right. But as soon as benefit to the player gets brought up and it's a close call, then you almost feel like a, a jerk yeah. Yeah. to say, mm. Most tournaments I've played in, guys are always trying to help people out. It yes. seems like that, and that's part of like the game of golf. I feel like that guys, like you're supposed to like respect each other and like not be jerks and like if it's a really close call yeah like usually guys will help you out and like whenever you're like placing a lie like is this where it went out like guys are like yeah like that's fine usually yeah. right like people are nice about it. I've that. never heard someone be like, like oh that's not where that no, went are out. you kidding me yeah, back yourself up five feet yeah. mister <laughs> but you make an interesting point about like yeah like maybe walking up to that disc three of those guys think that thing is out of bounds but the guy who speaks first is the one who mentions the benefit of the player thing 
But if it's not the player talking about it, then what, I mean, what motive does he have to help that guy out really other than being some kind of, you know, rules aficionado. So like, it still seems kind of genuine. I don't know. To me, I, I haven't seen like a blatant disregard of the rule of like, you know, everyone agrees it's OB, but someone's like, well, benefit right. the player. It's I don't, close. I've never but, seen it happen like on a big enough stage to where I'm like, that needs to be addressed and changed. No, I don't think it needs to be addressed and changed. I just think... It's a bit ambiguous. I do think that... So I was going to bring that up too, but I'll talk about that right after I say this. I do think that maybe the OB rule should be... Because to me, when I read this, it's when the group can't reach a majority decision. Like that needs to be the first step. So like the first step needs to be What's everyone's thoughts? Is this disc OB or N? Right. And if it's you and I go, it's OB, and Joe and Schmo say it's N, then the benefit just goes to the player naturally. Fine, yeah. That's how the rule I interpreted how I read yeah. it. Whereas right now, it's like the benefit to the player is just integrated into the negotiation of it's in or not. Whereas yeah. it should be everyone makes their statement, is it in or is it out? Oh, it's split. Benefit goes to the player. Yeah. I think that's why the rule is written, but I don't think that's how the rule is used. Right. Which that's why I brought it up as I thought that was interesting is like benefit to the player kind of, and it's this is only talking about OB. Benefit to the player has been brought up regarding pretty much every rule imaginable. Footfall is probably another good one for that. Yeah. But it really, it's just like when when a group can't reach a majority decision regarding a ruling, I guess not just technically OB. But in general, it's like the to me, it should be in the sport of disc golf, Everyone makes their decision first, and then which foot fault I think is an ambiguous one because if you call me on a foot fault, it doesn't have to be a majority. They're just yeah. one person has to second it. Yeah. Um, but you know when it all comes down to it, I think the PDJ intentionally leaves like this rule and the previous rule about excessive time, um, kind of open ended because at the end of the day, like rules are there so that you can call someone if they're intentionally breaking them for their advantage type of a thing uh, but i've never made a rules call on someone i think i'm actually i might have once i called someone possibly on a foot fault but it was because they hit the first tree in front of them and it was when you could just rethrow yeah i um, sure haven't because it might I mean my thing is like and it's probably because i'm not very good and i haven't been in many heated like tournament like down the stretch lead card situations but like I'm usually a lot more worried about my game than whatever the heck else somebody else is well, doing. Well, also, like, when... I'm only ever getting fired up if I'm, like, going head-to-head with somebody down the stretch and then they do something shady. Then I'm going to be like, Whoa. Well, I think if they do something shady, I have no problem calling someone because in that situation, you're not the jerk. Well, not even shady, but, like, if they do something wrong. But, like, okay, so technically a foot fault. If I have the disc, right, and I mm-hmm. plant my foot instead of one disc length, like a disc length and a mini behind, that's a foot fault. Yeah. But if I'm just like running up in an open field on a run up, I'm I'm never I mean if Or like you, if you slip and kick a disc, yeah. foot fault. But like who's calling yeah. that? Yeah. On a run up, I'm like it's hard. That is one of the harder things in disc golf is like planning your feet. And some people are very good at it and some people are awful at it and are gonna step over their mini, you know, on top of it. But the only really way you're getting a super advantage with that is if you're going significantly to the left or right to like yes. try to get around something. If I, I see that happen, then I'm like, all right, that was not good. I have before told someone, like, hey, yeah. just a heads up, you know, I'm not going to call you on it, but someone else might right. that you, you foot faulted here. Yeah. I've never called someone on it. Only place I could see myself, knowing myself that I would actually call someone is on the putting green. And I feel like on the putting green, if you're watching someone close enough to know they're going to foot fault, you have time beforehand to be like, 
hey, and I've said this to people and I've had plenty of people say this to me, like, hey, your left foot's a little bit ahead of your right on your straddle right, putt. Yeah. Or, hey, your right foot's not quite behind your mini. You can yeah. address it beforehand. So to me, like, whenever I'm about to make a rules call or I think about making a rules call, I feel like a jerk. Yeah. And so I don't do it. And I don't know if that's right. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the solution is. I don't even know why I brought it up. But I just think that's... All right. I think that's kind of where disc golf is. Yeah. And is that a problem? That's kinda, Not yet. No. That's kind of the game of golf. And like on at the and like on the P, in the PGA there's like rules marshals that you can call over to help make decisions, but like you're just kind of expected to follow the rules of the game. Exactly. Because like it's a game of etiquette. Golf is a game of etiquette at the end of the day. Like you should know the etiquette and you should do it the right way. And at the highest level, you're going to be on camera. So I really hope you're not trying to do anything stupid because somebody's filming you. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about it for this uh, this week. We didn't. There was one or two more topics I had written down, but uh, we can push those off. I don't really think they're that important because, I mean, realistically, they were just more little rules things. And the biggest rule one was the excessive time, and we hit that and then some. So that's gonna wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, just some brief foundation news. We did have a small restock of Discraft hit the site, and a little insider info. If you're listening to this podcast. Um, Pretty soon, we're going to have a Ripped Revenge restock Yes, coming out. Um, it'll be in tandem with the video. So the second you see a Ripped Revenge video on our YouTube page, Ripped Revenge decks just hit our site. Um, other than that, there's some new, rather large stuff in the works, behind the scenes. Contracts have to be signed and stuff like that. So I can't say anything yet, but there's some cool stuff coming up that you will know about shortly. Yeah. Exciting. I think that's going to be I, it. The more I can say on it, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. All right. We'll talk to you next week, and I can't wait to use the rangefinder in the tournament this weekend.